0: The meaning the idea that we're simply do it um, and we talked some about as we go into this st- study that um, we ought to determine even now that as we're uh, presented with these different commands that even now we're going to determine to just be obedient um, and then from there we got into this first command um, which we're going to pick back up and we're going to uh, it's found both in Matthew and Mark. We're going to mostly be in the Mark section. So turn over to Mark chapter one. And if you remember from last week as we break these commands down, we're looking kind of at three different pieces. What what does the command say? Exegesis, the the breaking down of what the actual verse says. And then how does the command relate to other parts of Scripture? What does Scripture tell us that that can give us a more full picture? And then the third thing that we are going to look at is the crisis that each one of these commands brings us to when it comes to what's the action that we need to do. Um, We find the first command... That, and we began to get into this last week, but the first command there in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, it says, saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Last week we looked at some of the terms in this, we reviewed. The fullness of time um, and a lot that could go into that but really just looking at the time for Christ's earthly ministry to start was was now the the, fu- the fullness of time had come for Christ to begin his public ministry um, Paul alluded to that also in Galatians where we said but when the fullness of time was come God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. The fullness of time, the kingdom of God is at hand, and we touched on that last week, and there's a lot that could go into that, but really in its simplest sense, um, the kingdom of God is at hand because the king himself is present here, and bringing a present command of what the hearer should do. Um, we touched on that word the kingdom of God is at hand repent ye and the Greek meaning there being metanoa which really just means um, to think after to understand to think after your ways after the the path that you're on and to have a change in one mind about the direction that they're headed the path they're on in respect, particularly respect to sin, to where they stand before God, to where their personal position is, and to turn from that direction, that path, that way of life, turning to God. To think after your ways, to understand where you stand, and to make a turn from that. Um, Repent ye, and believe. And then we briefly got into that term believe there. Um, it might be helpful for you to understand that that term believe is translated 249 times in the New Testament as faith. So believe and faith are, are really kind of synonymous, two of the same terms, um, and really carries the meaning to consider something to be true, but not just intellectually true, but, but because it's true, to be worthy of of one's trust, and we touched on how there, how the um, the idea is not a belief uh, about the gospel, an intellectual belief, but it's a belief in the gospel. Um, and then we finished off there, just getting into this term, the gospel. What what are we to, what are you to repent and believe in? Believe in the gospel. Um, Paul gives us a really good definition of the gospel over in 1st Corinthians. Why don't you turn over there? 1st Corinthians chapter 15 1st Corinthians 15 and picking up in verse 1 Moreover brethren I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. So he's declaring to them the gospel. He's saying, this is, this is, the, this is what I have preached to you. This is where you have your, your standing with God. And he goes on to expound on that, and he says, By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. The Gospel is the story that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scripture. The Gospel, which simply really means the good news, is that Christ died for our sins, that He was buried, which means He truly died, He didn't swain, he didn't just pass out, but he he truly died. And that he rose again, overcoming death and proving that his death satisfied God's wrath for sin. Uh, We also see here that the gospel, we are saved by belief in the gospel. Paul says, by which ye are saved. And also, that we find here that our a belief in the gospel gives us standing with God, wherein ye stand. And so, that is kind of the breakdown of the terminology and of the meaning of this command. And now we're going to um, transition into looking um, how this relates. How does this relate to other Scripture? How do we put this full picture together? And when we look at these when we look at this second point of how this relates to scripture really we're going to compare scripture to scripture um, that relates to a particular command in this case this command here to try to expound or give us a more rounded view of what's um, being conveyed here Uh, one of the things that we find here is that repentance and belief are essential to entering the kingdom of God. Um, stick with me here, but there's actually people that say that, um, they try to separate this concept of repentance and faith or repentance and belief um, and say that, um, that belief is all that's needed and not repentance. And really you can't have one without the other some people say that you can believe in jesus as savior but not as lord meaning not surrendering really control of your life that is you can believe in him but never repent of your sin you can believe in him and be quote saved even if your life goes on just as it was before you became a christian Um, you know ephesians tells us and you have he quickened which means to be made alive to be made a new creature you can't have you can't have an intellectual of being saved without it without it you can't truly be saved without it changing something in you which changes your life or so the claim goes some people even claim that if we say repentance is necessary for salvation We are adding works to the gospel. They claim that if repentance is required, then we are no longer saved by God's grace alone, but by what we do as well. Um, And kind of as we dig into this, we're going to find that repentance, there is a decision of the will, but even repentance is not necessarily something that you have the ability to do in your own. Um, The command here from the king again, thinking about who's um, issuing the command, it's, it's, it's quite clear. It's repent and believe the gospel. Um, the fact that repentance is needed in salvation is quite, quite clear in, in Scripture. If you go over to Luke, Luke, Luke chapter 13, makes this clear to us. Luke chapter 13 and verse 3. Jesus is talking here and he says, Luke 13, 3, he says, I tell ye nay. So I tell you no. Like pay pay attention. Um, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And if that wasn't enough, he repeats it down in verse 5, again, he says, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. That Jesus is emphasizing here that unless there's repentance involved, um, if, that is, if that is lacking, if that's not involved, you're going to perish. Um, we also see this truth over in the book of Acts. Turn over to Acts chapter 17. And again, we're just establishing the fact here that repentance is, is absolutely necessary in the process, if you want to even call it a process, in the in the in salvation. Acts chapter seventeen and verse thirty. Paul is talking here. Um, that here in in Athens is where he's at, and Paul's talking here. And uh, in Acts 17.30, he says, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And so we see very clearly teachings in the Bible that repentance is an absolute necessity in the work of salvation. Um, Really, when we think about... um, let me just say this before we go on Um, the Bible is is a very clear book and we can dig very deep into understanding different concepts Um, and it's very needful to uh, kind of flesh out concepts like this but don't in this process um, don't let us also overcomplicate this Um, you know, because there is false teachings out there, it is necessary to look at things like, as repentance need to be involved in salvation. But um, if you remember back to your own salvation experience, you may not have even known the term repentance. You may not have even known all this language. And so as we really break this down, just also be careful that this simple... Uh, of, of turning from the, the direction you were on, realizing your position to God and trusting in God, that um, that we don't over-complicate that in, in creating some process or some analysis of, did I do all these steps? Because co- salvation is really not that complicated. Yeah. Um, you know, when we think about this concept of repentance and faith or repent and believe really there are two things that can't be separated and um, you know we try to use different analogies there's the coin analogy um, which is not a bad analogy Um, but if you think about repentance and faith or repentance and belief in God it's two sides to the same coin Um, there it's one coin there but there's two Two sides to that, um, the but the command in order to be saved is really just it's really just one one command a one requirement. Um, again, some of these analogies don't do justice to the concept. But if we were to say something to the effect of um, Daniel, I want you to leave Fairbanks and go to Anchorage. Um, you know in technicality, we could really break that down seems like, and say, well, that seems like a two-fold request. There seems to be two parts to that. But the reality is, is it's impossible for Daniel to go to Anchorage without leaving Fairbanks. Yeah. And it's impossible for you to put your faith in God without needing and understanding and turning, repenting from the path you're on. Yeah. It's... it's um, Two sides of the same coin. It's one requirement. Um, You know, we're here in Acts. If you um, flip over to chapter 20, Acts chapter 20 really kind of puts this in perspective in in marrying the two of these together. Acts Acts, um, 20, did I say 20? Acts chapter 20 and verse 21. It says here, Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see, again, both of those terms used here. Repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot be saved without repenting. Neither can you be saved without putting your trust in the work of the cross and the work that the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross. When we look at Scripture, and we're not going to look at all of these, but when we look at Scripture, there are multiple passages which mention faith as being a condition for salvation. Um, You can think of even verses like the famous verse John 3.16, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him so we see there the need for belief the need for faith and then we could also go and look through multiple passages that just simply mentioned um, the word repentance um, a, good, a good example of that would be Acts 3.19 which, which says repent ye therefore and be converted um, and so the, the thing to point out here is um, again just the, the, the one process cannot exist without the other that if you are truly repentant it's that you're turning from this direction this path from this understanding of where you stand before God turning to God um, and in order to put your faith or belief in God, you're going to have to acknowledge the need to do that And so it's all that to just point out that you really cannot in the in the process of salvation you cannot separate these two and if you and those that try to do that and just say that you need an intellectual um belief or this intellectual acknowledging that god has died for your sins and that saved you that is false teaching that's another gospel um All right, next we're going to look at kind of four factors that God uses to prompt repentance. Um, Four four truths about the prompt for repentance. Um, The first one here would be God's truth... Should prompt repentance. God's truth should prompt repentance. What do we mean by that? Well, um, turn over to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 and um, verse 21. Jesus had been, um, in his earthly ministry, had been in this region and had been performing miracles. And he says in verse 21, he says, Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. The implication here is that Jesus had been doing miracles in this region, in these cities that, were, um, that should have confirmed, should have proven who he was, that he was the Son of God, that He was God Himself, that there was plenty enough truth that had been revealed to these people simply through the miracles that God had done to where they were held accountable for the demand to repent. In fact, He says here that so many works had been done that had those been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. Um, And so the implication here is that they had all the truth they needed in order to respond, in order to repent. God's truth should prompt repentance. Um, Romans 10.17, another passage that's very familiar to all of us, that says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Um, Sitting under and hearing the truth of the word of God and the, tr- and the need for your salvation, uh, that truth should prompt you to repentance. The second prompt or second thing that should truth is, um, is that a sorrow for sin can prompt repentance. A sorrow for sin should prompt repentance. Um, Let's look over in Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Chapter seven. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. Uh, I'm in 1 Corinthians. Let me get over there. 2 Corinthians 7 10 tells us for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of this world worketh death. For godly sorrow worketh repentance. What does this, where does this godly sorrow come from? Well, it comes from an understanding of, of my sin and how God views my position with Him because of my sin. And when I come to a place of understanding my sin, that ought to prompt me to the need of repentance. Um, and again, we can, um, we can begin to rationalize in our mind or begin to think about, um. Well, is my sin really that bad? Um, and James told us, for whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, have you have you committed one sin? Is guilty of all. Yeah. Sorrow for sin should prompt us to repentance. Job said in Job forty two six. He said. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. When Job realized and pondered his position before God because of his sinful flesh, he said, Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Sorrow, A realization of our sin and a sorrow of our sin should prompt us to repentance. Um, Now, truth being being exposed to the truth of god's word and um and a feeling of perhaps a feeling of being sorry for my sins is not um is not necessarily a, a complete repentance when we think about um you know that region that jesus was teaching in there Bethsaida and Chorazin, they they, they were exposed to truth. And when we think about somebody like Judas, who betrayed Jesus and, and seems to have a feeling of, of, of sorriness over the betrayal, yet didn't really seem to have true repentance. Beware, one can have truth, and one can have a feeling of sorry over a particular sin, but that is not necessarily, but that does not necessarily mean they have repentance. Um, because repentance is when it's not just me feeling sorry because of the effect that this sin's going to have or because um, my conscience is convicting me, but it's, it's deeper than that in realizing that this sin has been against God. And I have offended the Holy Creator, um, Of the world and and with that realizing the price that had to be paid for my sin God's truth should prompt us to repentance Um, sorrow for sin and understanding of of my sinful condition Um, God's goodness can also be something that prompts us to repentance Um, Let's go look at Romans chapter 2 for this one. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 tells us, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness? and forbearance and long-suffering not knowing that the goodness of god leadeth thee to repentance Um, he mentions here the forbearance and long-suffering of god when i was in my lost condition or if you are here today in a lost condition um John tells us that the wrath of God abideth on you, that, it, that the wrath of God is already upon you. And the very fact that God allows you to live today and to sit today in that lost condition is because of His forbearance and long-suffering to you, giving you another opportunity to respond to Him. The goodness of God can prompt us to repentance, the realization that God is a good God, that He is forbearing and long-suffering, ought to move any man to repent of his sin and believe in Christ as his Savior. The very fact that you have an opportunity to hear the gospel today is reflective of God's forbearance and long-suffering in your life, and that ought to prompt you to repentance. The other thing that should prompt An individual to repentance is a fear of the judgment of God. Uh, We're here in Romans. Flip over to Acts 17, the fear of the judgment of God ought to prompt one to repentance. Uh, Acts 17 and verse 30 tells us, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, um, and so th- this ignorance was really kind of an ignorance of them understanding where they stood before God. And it says, the God, the God winked at that, but as, as they were exposed to the truth, the time of this ignorance God winked at but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness, by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. That God again, God's goodness is forbearing and long-suffering, but at some point his judgment will come. And your understanding of where you stand before God in judgment should be something that prompts one repentance. The the command to repent and believe, the gospel, is is an appeal to the heart and will of man and not to man's outward flesh. Um, One commentary said, many define repentance as a turning from sin. Certainly the sinner must be must do an about face when it comes to his attitude toward sin. He must see sin as God sees it. He must understand how despicable sin is in the sight of a holy God. He needs to understand the plague of his own heart. Jeremiah 17:9 for the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Sin is so terrible that God's only solution was to send his beloved son to be the sin-bearer and to be made sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. There needs to be a desire on the part of the sinner to be set free from his sins and an understanding that Jesus Christ is the only one who can make this possible. However, the sinner has no power to turn from his sins. Just as a leopard cannot change his spots, just as a person cannot change the color of his skin, so also the person accustomed to doing evil cannot do good. Jeremiah 13.23 you know, is that verse that says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. You know, this passage here in Jeremiah confirms that the sinner must come to have a change of mind in respect to sin, to God, and to where his position with that is. He must be able to abhor himself. As Job said, I abhor myself. And then call upon God to turn him, for he cannot do it of himself any more than a leopard can change his spots. Jeremiah 31, 18 says, uses this, this, turn, this turn, turning uh, verbiage. He says, I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. Thou hast chastened me, and I was chastened. As a bullock, un, as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke, turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Um, and... In the very next verse, there in Jeremiah, it says, Surely, after that I was turned, I repented. And after that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh. And so even when it comes to repentance, there is a surrender of the will. But God is the one that has to... I, I, I in my sinful condition, have no power or no influence over changing myself, God has to be even the one that turns me. In the process of repentance, it was Jeremiah's will—his will—that desired to be turned, but only God could turn him and work repentance in his heart. God commands—we've seen this in Acts seventeen thirty. God commands all men everywhere to repent endeavoring to drive every man to a total abandonment of themselves, coming to the spot of realizing I have no ability to change my position with God myself, and a total trust in God to do what I cannot myself do. And in that act of the will, God grants the gift of repentance. Acts 11.18 demonstrates this, and it says, When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. 2 Timothy 2.25 says, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God pre will give them repentance That when I have a surrender of my will, God does the act of repentance in my life. All right. That uh, that kind of sums up um, the looking at this topic of repentance and belief in relation to other scripture. And so that brings us to what we're calling in these lessons the crisis point. Every command brings us to. A crisis Uh, we like to vacillate when it comes to commands asking ourselves should I do this do I feel like this but again going back to looking at who is the one issuing the command and based on the authority of the one issuing the command he does not care how I feel about the command what i think about it or how i rationalize it to be reasonable the imperative of the command based on the one issuing the command is to do it so what does this mean well for the lost man it means that the kingdom of heaven is at hand it's present right here right now that when you hear instructions to repent and believe it's not an invitation it's not uh, something that well i should consider um, i should uh, rationalize this or maybe some other day i'll deal with this based upon hearing god's command it calls for action and even today if you sit in your seat lost This should bring you to a crisis moment. Will you be obedient to God? The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is here, even now, reproving the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. His command is repent and believe the gospel. What are you going to do? The scripture tells us, "Except you repent, you will all likewise perish." It's true that God may deal with you on another day. But it's also true that God declares today is the day of crisis where you are not promised tomorrow." Paul said in 2 Corinthians, he said, "Behold, now, now is the accepted time. Behold now. Is the day of salvation for the lost man this brings a crisis moment of will I repent and believe um, in a different connotation this does bring um, a challenge to the saved man repent ye and believe the gospel our commands in the present in imperative um, calling for these two attributes in our lifestyle, an attribute of repentance and belief. Yes, you need repentance the first time we believe in the act of salvation and are saved, and that is a once for all time justification. That's an imputed righteousness which is being born into the family of God. And so, I'm not saying that repentance and belief is an ongoing work when it comes to salvation however when in the saved man's life in the in the present tense it also signifies a need to keep on repenting that repenting needs to be a habitual practice in our lives and in our lifestyle not to maintain our salvation don't 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 get that connotation out of this but to maintain, nor to maintain my relationship with God, but re- ongoing repentance is needed to maintain my fellowship with God. And that ought to be a continual practice in the saved man's life of repenting from sin. As his children, we cannot live with unrepentant sin and have fellowship with God. Um, John talks about this in 1 John uh, chapter 1. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with Him, talking about fellowship with God, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. And then he goes on two verses later, he says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so when we talk about... um, We talk about this in the life of the saved man as you sit here even today is there some sin in your life or my life that I know about that I've not dealt with that I've not brought before God and repent you know um, this brethren is where kind of this whole cultural Christianity thing meets meets real life right because we begin to measure our Christianity by am I am I attending church am I reading my Bible am I involved in these ministries am I doing this and yes those are all you can't argue that those are are not good things but really where life meets reality is is there. Things in my life, is there sin in my life right now that I'm holding on to that I'm not willing to repent of, not willing to give up, that's affecting my fellowship with God? These words should bring the child of God to a crisis moment. For we live in a world of temptation and sin. The fact of the matter is we do sin, and sin affects my fellowship with God. What will we do when the Word of God and the Spirit of God comes to our heart, saying, you have sinned against me, you have this issue here. We'll either turn from our sin, confessing and asking God to do what we cannot do, which is to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which is what John said will happen when we confess our sins. Um, or the reverse of that is we'll put ourselves in a Ongoing position to be under God's discipline. Hebrews twelve six tells us, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards, and not sons." And so, for the saved man here today, when we think about this command in the imperative sense, examining your heart even now, and is there something between you and God that um, you've not dealt with? And if so, um, to linger in that state would be to be in disobedience to this command. The crisis moments. Um, as we wrap up here, we're just reminded that Paul said, um, how did Paul put that? He said, he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, that this is something where to be active, that this takes uh, active participation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so just um, encourage you today that if you're a lost person, the simple fact that you walk out of here in a lost state puts you in direct violation of God's command. And for the saved man, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Be active in dealing with with whatever sin issue, whatever thing in your heart you may be harboring. Deal with that today so that you can be obedient to the king's command. All right, it's a good challenge. Thanks for putting up with me stumbling through this. And you can have uh, Pastor Humphrey back next week. You're dismissed.